everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason. And here we delve into those reasons. We survived the snow here in New York. It really wasn't much, sadly. If you live in a lot of pla- if you live in a place with a lot of snow, please let me know so I can come and visit because I really miss snow. Anyways, I'm super stoked because this week I'm sharing my conversation with Shirley B. Jackson Award nominee and Brian Stoker Award nominee Gordon B. White. We talked about his favorite horror movies, which I was a big fan of some of them, how he got into horror with his dad, which I thought was so sweet, and the folklore that he learned while growing up in North Carolina. He also told me about his writing process when he puts together his collections of stories and what his favorite lesser talked about horror writers are from this last year. And we've launched a Patreon, just a reminder, if you want to join the community over there, click the link in the show notes, and for only $3 a month, you'll get access to early episodes, stickers, a monthly newsletter, and more. I'd love to have you over there. And please join our email list too, that link is also in our show notes. As always, please take a second to rate and review us wherever you listen, and let's get into my conversation with Gordon B. White. Hey, Gordon, how are you? Good, good, good. Glad we finally get a chance to catch up. I know, me too. Thank you so much for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself and why you're here? Sure. My name is Gordon B. White, and the B is there because there are lots of other Gordon Whites. (laughs) It's apparently a very popular name, and I wasn't very high on the SEO until I put that middle initial in there, so that's been magical for me. But I'm a Seattle-based writer of horror and weird fiction. My work's been nominated for the Shirley Jackson Award and the Bram Stoker Award. I've published two novellas, one of which was co-written, and my second collection of short horror fiction just came out last year on Friday the 13th of October, and that's called Gordon B. White is Creating Haunting Weird Horrors. It's called Horrors because there's a title story in there that's Gordon B. White is Creating Haunting Weird Horror, singular. (laughs) So for bookkeeping purposes, they're slightly different. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to chat with you in a little bit about your writing, but first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? Oh, man. So I knew you were going to ask this because obviously I I listened to the podcast (laughs) and I still thought about it and I still feel very put on the spot. You know, I tried to go through and think of like different things. And I was like, there are all sorts of different like movies, like scary movies that I associate with like different points in my life. And I have a very like affection, like great affection for like my wife and I, one of the first sort of date movies we tried to go on was a sneak preview of 28 Days Later. And we couldn't get in. So we ended up bootlegging it. And so like, I have a very like fond memory of like us sitting in her dorm room, like watching a very grainy version of 28 uh. Days Later. It was too dark to see what was going on. Or things like, you know, movies like The Thing or The Shining. Like, you know, I've watched so many times that like, I really enjoy. I don't know if I'd call them my favorite though. So there's all sorts of ones I was trying to think of. But I think probably my favorite one to give you an actual answer rather than just dithering about <laughs> is probably the movie Lake Mungo. I think about that one an awful lot, even though I've only seen it like once or twice. It's one of those like special ones to me that I don't want to watch too many times because I don't want to lose sort of that reaction that I have. But to me, like it, it really hits what I really love about horror in terms of like characters that you care about, sort of a really terrible thing that happens <laughs> which I, I like to see happen to people and it just works so well like it, it works as a movie and i don't know that you could do it any other way and i think that's what i really like about it like there's something about the found footage aspect to it and stuff that 
it just couldn't be done in a different way. And so that one's really sort of special to me. It's also to one of the few times, like as an adult that I have like gotten like absolute chills from something and as opposed to just like a nice, like, Ooh, that's fun. But like, <laughs> uh, like full body, like soul deep chill. So yeah, that's what I'm going to say. Awesome. That's a great pick. Um, it's not one that people say often, but uh, I love that movie. I think I've only watched it once. I think I got it on DVD over the holidays, but I love it. I think it's great. Yeah. I think there's something special about movies like that, that like when you see them, you know, you don't necessarily want to rewatch them again. Like there are ones that I do want to rewatch again and again for like the craft purposes, like how good they do the things they do, <laughs> but then there are other ones too. And I'm just like, I don't know that it would ever live up to that like initial experience. So I don't want to, I want to hold that as special as opposed to, you know, trying to go back to that well too many times. Yeah, totally. I I fear that I would pay too much attention to certain parts of like Mungo now if I went back and rewatched it. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah, I would not be as like focused on like the actual story of what's going yeah. on. So how did you first fall in love with the horror genre? So I... So I blame my dad for that entirely. <laughs> I grew up in North Carolina and he, his family is from that area. They were tobacco and cotton sharecroppers like from way back. So he's like a lot of like rural family. And so I grew up with him telling me ghost stories and tall tales and going to visit my family out in the country. And so like being like very close to these, to like basically to like ghost stories, to like living in ghost stories, because they all have stories that I would be think would like be fiction, but to them, you know, it was real, or at least real enough for them to elaborate, exaggerate a little bit. And so I grew up with a lot of that. And also, too, I later found out that my dad, what he would do too, is he would take, he would take classic ghost stories like by Algernon Blackwood or Arthur Machen, and, and he would pretend that they happened to him and then retell me those stories. <laughs> so I got the exposure to all of these like classic ghost stories and horror stories uh, from him pretending that they were real things that happened to him. But from there, you know, I've always had sort of a soft spot for that stuff. And, you know, when I was a kid, he would take me to go see movies like every weekend. So we'd go see whatever was playing and he had no sort of filter on what it was as long as it wasn't like rated R. So there were a lot of <laughs> PG-13 horror movies that I was taken to way too young. <laughs> But yeah, I, I just sort of always had an a, a you know affinity for horror and for scary stuff, and you know I I haven't found a reason to disavow myself of that. So here nice. here we are. <laughs> I have a question, and I don't know if you know the answer to this, but why do they call some stories tall tales? I don't know. That's oh. a very good question. I mean, I feel like because you, <laughs> maybe you stretch the truth so much. Oh, that. That could be a good explanation. Oh, I'm going to go with that. I'll just All make right. it up. <laughs> I'll have to Google it later. That's how tall tales start, though. We just make something up and we say it's true. And yeah. <laughs> people believe us when they hear it on the podcast, and that's fine. Yeah, so that's how. That's why they call them tall tales. Tell your friends. Yeah, it's verified. You can now put this on <laughs> Wikipedia because you have a source. So why do you think that people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? That is also a really good question that I knew you were going to ask. You know, I think there there's lots of theories about it. And so I'm not going to regurgitate somebody else's ideas. You know, I think part of it is there's so, there's certain types of horror that people like because I think it gives you like a like an actual physical thrill, like movies that like put you on the edge of your seat, things that involve like jump scares or like you know tense moments. Like I think they provide like a like a visceral physical thrill, and I think that's kind of cool that you can experience those sorts of things without having to actually be in physical danger. It's the same reason you know you go on roller coasters or eat hot peppers. I like things, though. I tend to like horror that's more 
it's quieter or what my wife usually describes as harrowing. <laughs> She's like, I don't want to watch another harrowing movie. We have to compromise and watch like a slasher or something. But I like those. And I think other people do too, because, you know, movies that create characters, they get you invested and then, you know, do something tragic to them. I think that there's, you know, a, a lot of value in sort of having this empathy exercise of being able to, you know, experience like loss and grief even if it is for the, you know, five minutes you're watching the movie and then you forget it when you go outside, it really does help to sort of put you in a position where you can experience these intense emotions, but without having to actually have your family and friends die or, you know, without having to lose everything. And, you know, people say that horror, like, people tend to be some of the nicest people. And I think part of that's why, you know, because we do <laughs> think so much about these bad things that it makes us appreciate, you know, not bad things as well. I love that. Is your wife a horror fan? She is, but our tastes, our Venn diagram is is not a complete circle. We'll put it that way. <laughs> she likes to rewatch things for comfort, you know, sort of comfort horror movies. And she loves like zombie stuff. And I'm not a huge fan of those. I like more like supernatural and harrowing things. <laughs> so I have the harrowing side. She has like the zombie side. And then in the middle, we have a lot of stuff we do enjoy. So pretty much oh, every weekend we're watching something. Oh, that's awesome. So what scares you in horror movies today? Well, so I guess I, I was thinking about this, and there's two sorts of scareds that I, I come across. Like one is like like things that I, I find very unpleasant and don't want to watch, like like realistic like bodily injury or like torture things like that. Like I I, I can't watch that, which it might sound weird, but like I have a like very visceral reaction to that, and I like I can't watch it, and so that upsets me, and I don't know if it scares me. There's also too, though, the kind of scared that I enjoy, which is something that's got like a real like overbearing like mood or atmosphere, like something where the tone is so much that I like get chills and I like start looking behind my my <laughs> shoulder to see if anything's creeping up on me and while I'm on my couch. So those are, so there's the scares I don't like and the scares I do. And so something like Lake Mungo or like the movie, there's a movie called Pulse by Kyoshi Kurosawa. It's got this part where the ghost lady walks across a room. And if you've ever seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you haven't, I won't say anything more. I but like it. things like that, we're just like the atmosphere is so tense. And yeah. I, I, I love that because like writing a lot of fiction, there's things that I can't do with that medium and, you know, like color and, and sound <laughs> and like the speed or things that I can't really control, you know. Yeah, you get too much description and it bogs it down. So when I see movies that do that really well, like in a way that only a movie can, it just it's like a, a different kind of like flood of senses. So I really like that. I like being scared by that. Nice. Yeah, I love I love a good atmospheric horror movie too. Totally. <laughs> what is your favorite and least favorite subgenre in horror? So my favorite is, I I would call it like weird fiction, but sort of like strange, like almost like cosmic horror like weird horror where there's sort of like an other like world or another system another like realm of existence outside of ours that sort of intrudes on us and i really like it when that doesn't get explained like i like when there's no like key to understanding a movie or a horror like completely i like it when there's jagged edges and, and loose ends that are intentional i don't like it when when i can tell that it's a plot hole but i like <laughs> like when like answers are like intentionally like not given but they're suggested and hidden so I like that. And so usually I see that in like cosmic horror things where people find mm -hmm. out like, oh, we're just like one small part of a giant system, a giant <laughs> like whatever. And I like when you don't see like the edges of that. I don't want too much world building. And for least favorite, it's it's probably like a 
like realistic torture realistic body horror like i like body horror that's like goopy stuff or like transformations i think that's really cool or even things that are like over the top because at some point they become sort of cartoonish but things that are like realistic violence like that freaks me out <laughs> <laughs> that's understandable do you have any favorite horror directors you know it's it's funny because like a lot of the people who i was thinking of like horror movies i really like are people who don't necessarily always do horror because i think sometimes like having an outsider who does like one and done is kind of cool but if people i think recently who i've really liked i really like robert eggers who did the witch and the lighthouse and the norseman which i kind of didn't like as much but the witch to me was just so good for the atmosphere and the attention to detail and then i think ari aster too who did hereditary and midsummer those i really really liked yeah i have friends who really did not like them for the same reasons <laughs> i really did so <laughs> i understand those are, are mixed bags but yeah. and i think Oz Perkins, too, who directed, oh. I want to say, Gretel and Hansel and The uh, Black Coat's Daughter and I'm the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. Oh, okay. I, I haven't really seen. Oh, no, I've seen all of those. I don't remember really liking The Black Coat's Daughter, but I think I just need to rewatch it. But I like the other two a lot. Yeah. So I, I like, I really, I really admire dedication to a bit, whatever that is. <laughs> like if it's comedy or if it's like horror, like I really like when somebody like is all in and those three directors are really all in on what they're trying to do. And it doesn't always work for people. It doesn't always work for me either, but I, I just like, I'm, I'm very pleased to always see somebody with a cohesive, like artistic vision. And they line up a lot with what I like with terms of like atmosphere and mood and, yeah. and that stuff. Totally. So speaking of writers, who are your favorite horror authors, if you have any? I feel like I would like let people down if I didn't mention them. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, there, there's a lot of people who I really like, and I'm trying not to like, I'm trying to think of people who I know of, but don't know personally, so I won't <laughs> say anything. One of my favorites uh, is Thomas Ligotti, who is very much like those like directors we were discussing, like his stuff from a prose level to like the ideas that he keeps coming back to again and again are very very atmosphere heavy he's very vibe heavy he's got one story called the red factory i want to call it and it, it's a story with no characters or anything it's literally just like a description of like a really creepy factory that makes like nightmares sort of mm. and there's a grave in the bottom that gives birth to things but like it's all like weird stuff that's very like vibe heavy and again in the same way with those other directors like it doesn't always work for other people and it doesn't even always work for me but like I really admire that kind of writing I'm a really big fan too of Mariana Enriquez who's a South American author she wrote a collection called Things We Lost in the Fire and a more recent one called The Dangers of Smoking in Bed and she's just really good like I don't know how like her imagination is pretty pretty excellent and she has a story called Cobwebs or Cobweb Singular that I think you can find, I think it's free to read, like on the New Yorker's archive, but it's just like one of the creepiest things I've ever read. Hmm. I wonder if that was inspiration for the movie Cobweb that came no, out last no, year. No, no, no. Okay. very different. <laughs> very, very different. I saw that one too. Yeah. <laughs> that one's wild. I like that one a lot. So as you said before, you're a writer and you've been a Shirley Jackson Award nom nominee, which is amazing. Can you tell me about your piece that got nominate nominated? Sure. So that one was the the title story of the new collection so it was gordon b white is creating haunting weird horror um, <laughs> how did that title you... come about <laughs> so so the story is about it's a second person story where the you in the story subscribe to a patreon by an author named gordon b white 
and you start getting haunted postcards. And so the title is how Patreon titles used to be. It would be so-and-so is, and then whatever you're is creating, and then whatever your tag mm. is. So there has to be, so whenever I write it out, like I have to get the, the capitalization right. So it has to be like capital G, capital B, capital W, and then lowercase is creating, and then capital haunting weird horror, because that's how <laughs> they would always show up. I'm afraid they probably changed it now. And then people will be like, why are you like miscapitalizing things? But yeah, so it, it involves, the story is y- y- the you and the story subscribes to the Gordon B. White's Patreon. Who is it me? Because I don't actually have a Patreon. People always <laughs> ask that and I don't really have one. I, I would think that would be like too crass if I did. But then like haunted postcards are coming. And so there's a bunch of little micro fictions, like two or three sentence, like ghost stories. And I did that because I, I kept wanting to write like a haunted house story or I kept wanting to write something sort of a uh, weird and spooky and I just couldn't think of anything for a sustained story so I was like oh <laughs> what I'll do is I'll take all my little pitch ideas and I'll just make those like the oh, individual so cool. bits in there and I'll just that way I won't have to actually flesh any of them out I'll let the <gasps> reader do it in their own head oh that's such a good idea oh I love that and now in the explanation <laughs> about where the title came from came from makes total sense oh that's super cool I've been thinking a lot recently about how I can make the reader do more work as opposed to me having to do it myself. So in the, in the, you know, in the, the name of, you know, sort of co-authoring it with the reader, I've been trying to do more and more of like leaving empty spaces for the readers to put themselves into and to fill in details and things. So I'm, I'm wondering how far I can push that before it becomes obnoxious. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> That's kind of why I don't read a lot of horror fiction, because my mind would just fill in the most terrible, awful things imaginable. And I don't I don't want that. I Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you also have a collection of stories called As Summer's Masks, Slips and Other Disruptions from 2020. What is the theme of that collection? Yeah, so that one was my my first my first collection that I put out. And so there I sort of organized it around the idea of most of its sort of contemporary settings, uh, realistic settings intruded on by like a dark, speculative, often supernatural element. And, you know, I sort of like organized into a way that I, I had like a whole bunch of sheets. Like when I organize my collections, I write down like sort of how I want them to flow because I, I think of like stories and movies, you know, like any kind of like narrative form is like, it's like a roller coaster ride. Yeah. You know, it's a very curated experience where you have to guide the audience, you know, up and down, you give them like moments of rest, you give them moments of tension, you give them moments of excitement. Cause if you don't, if you don't, if you're very flat, then you just become, it's a small world after all, where you're just like riding with no change, no momentum, <laughs> just little things passing by. And no matter how exciting the things passing by you are, you're just like, I'm just floating here. I don't care. <laughs> so, uh, so I always have, when I put together my collections, I have like sheets where I write down, like, what are the stories? How long are they? Like, what are the different themes? What are the different sort of emotions or the types of characters? You know, do good things happen or bad things happen? And I try to like chart out like sort of like up and down course. So for that one, I went from bad things happening for no reason to bad things happening for like good reason <laughs> to <laughs> people escaping, you know, to bad things happening and people learning from it and, and and transcending it. And one of the stories in there, I think the the ultimate one, by ultimate I meant last, because I was going to say the penultimate, but then I realized I think it is the <laughs> last one, was in the best horror of the year for whatever year it was published. And that one's been well received. It's called Birds of Passage. And it's one that I drew a lot. You know, we I spoke at the beginning about my dad telling me ghost stories. It's it's one I drew from him. It's about a boy and his father on a canoe trip where they encounter 
some otherworldly thing. And I took a lot of details from that, like from a canoe trip we took, but also too, I took a lot of that from sort of the atmosphere from the story, The Willows by Algernon Blackwood, I want to say. But that was another one too, that he had told me happened to him. Like he, he lied to me <laughs> and he filed the serial numbers off and told me, oh no, this this is the kind of shit that happened to me when I was like on the river in Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> So that one was like a full culmination of like all sorts of my like artistic influences up to that point, which was kind of cool. Oh, that's amazing. What are your two novellas, Brookfield and And In Her Smile, The World? Where, what are they about? Yeah. So And In Her Smile, The World is the one I co-wrote with my good friend, Rebecca J. Allred. And that was nominated for the Shirley Jack, no, sorry, the Bram Stoker Award for Superior Achievement in Long Fiction, which is the code word for novellas last year i think and that one's about a cult of it's about a cult that has a secret creation myth about a goddess who created the world before the monotheistic god destroyed her and so there's a secret smile <laughs> and the way that they recognize each other and there's so there's two looping there's two intersecting storylines there's a of a male protagonist and a female protagonist and they sort of their lives intertwine around the same sort of cult until at the end they collide. And we wrote that together. We split up the parts at first. I wrote the guy part. But in the end, we traded back and forth so much and we like spitballed so much and we like, like things I would write would come up in her sections and then things she wrote in her sections I would like bring back in mine. And so by the end, like I I couldn't tell you who like came up with what anymore, which is kind of cool. Oh, that's so cool. (laughs) And Rookfield is a, I wrote it during the pandemic. I wrote it in August, uh, July and August of 2020. And so it's about a a guy who whose ex-wife takes his son to go back out of the big city to her hometown of Rookfield, which is a small little place. And rather than, you know, be calm and be cool, he runs off after them. And he gets to town and he finds out that it's very strange. All the little kids are wearing big plague doctor masks. There don't seem to be many adults around. And everybody wants him to get the hell out of town really fast. And he refuses and he uncovers a secret. But that one I wrote during the, the pandemic. And I my thought was, I really wanted to take somebody who's like a typical action hero, who, who's always doing things and is always in motion and always trying to solve problems and put him in a situation where the best thing to do is just not do that. Just stay calm, put on your mask, like be cool. Like, you know, let's see how things go. But he's not. And so he just keeps putting himself in worse and worse situations. And so some people go like, oh, he's a real asshole. Like, I don't know how, I, and he's not a likable protagonist. I go, right, but he's supposed to be an asshole. That's why bad things <laughs> happen to him. <laughs> he gets his comeuppance from that. Oh my God. Those both sound so interesting, especially Rookfield. It sounds like he just makes a bunch of bad decisions, which is kind of reminiscent of last year's movie, When Evil Lurks. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, I love that yeah. movie. That was, re- I really like that. Uh <laughs> That had like all sorts of stuff that I, I'm I'm really into. Like when I was talking about like sort of like the weird stuff, I like like I really like that one. Like how there's this idea of these infected, you know, mm-hmm. and there's like you get this idea that there's like this happens sometimes, and there's systems for yeah. it, but they never really go into that too much. Like I love that kind of world building. We're just like, what is going on here? <laughs> yeah, and that kind of reminded me about when you were talking at the beginning of our conversation about like the tales your dad would tell you. That was sort of, sort of like lore in North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was. Re- <laughs> I really liked that one a lot. What was the other one that that guy terrified? Did terrified. you see that? I haven't seen that, but I I had a friend that told me to watch it like four years ago, and I still have not. 
I rewatched that recently and I, it's still really good. There's a lot of like really creepy elements. And it's cool too because it's not from like a like a Hollywood background. And so it doesn't necessarily follow like the same sort of like three act structure that we're also used to. Mm-hmm. Like it's got sort of a more like feels episodic. And then it's more like a story about like the city or the, the, the street where this is happening and the people in it. And so there's no like one hero to it. It's got, it's kind of cool. Like to, to see that. I, I know some people too bounce off of that because they're expecting a save the cat type of beat sheet, but <laughs> you know, those other types of structures are really cool. And so I like that one a lot too, but both of those are really good. Speaking of North Carolina, did you ever visit any haunted places in North Carolina yeah. when you lived there? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so when we were kids, my brother and I, my dad took us to, there's one place called the Devil's Tramping Ground, where there's like a a clearing that's supposed to be where the devil comes to think at night, and he kicks stuff out. And my dad had gone like camping there when he was a kid, and nothing happened to him. But he took us there. But we had to go during the day, because nowadays, like, there are lots of people who wanted to go there, so they keep you away from it. We went to this one place where there used to be a train track where they said you could see a ghost who would like swing his lantern mm-hmm. called the Mako lights is what the the phenomenon is called. And I didn't see anything, but my brother who was like probably only like five or something swears to God that he saw a man f- come down from the sky. <laughs> and I was like, what? So I didn't see anything. But he did. And then we would go camping or camping. We'd go like stay in haunted houses that like people my dad knew had or like their families had so we went camping one time in a in an ostensibly haunted house i swear to god we heard like voices coming from downstairs while we were up at the top by ourselves in this abandoned house oh my goodness that's terrifying yeah i I get a chill still thinking about that have you ever been to since you're in seattle now have you been to this like seattle underground yeah but not the scary part i went to the the normal boring one with my mom where they where they only (laughs) obliquely mention like the Seattle CD past. <laughs> Are there three horror books that you love that you don't often hear people talk about that you could mention here? I don't often hear people mention. Well, so I, I'll go back again and say Mariana Enriquez's Things We Lost in the Fire is really good. Um, she, she had like a novel come out that I think people have been talking about a lot more recently because it's really big. But that first book is just so good. And I'll say Thomas Ligotti too. He, for a long time, when I first got into him, you had to like buy the books used because they were like out of print Mm. and so for a long time people talked about him but nobody actually read him but he recently had his first two books Grimm's Songs for a Dead Dreamer and Grimm's Scribe put together and released by Penguin Classics I think so those are out there and then the third book oh oh, I'll say probably my favorite story of all is by a guy named Adam Galaski it's called The Animator's House and it's a story and the ending images are like so horrifying that I, I get the chills from them. And in the middle is like a like a two-page ghost story that somebody's telling that's also just terrifying. But that's in the book called Worse Than Myself. And that's by Adam Galaski. Hmm. So those I think are really excellent. Awesome. They really like tick my my boxes. So, you know, if, if you don't like what I like, <laughs> then you wouldn't like them at all. But <laughs> where can people check out your work? I am virtually everywhere as Gordon B. White. You can get the books anywhere anywhere you, you buy your books. They're available through the big heartless corporations or your local bookstore <laughs> can order them because they, they do have ISBNs and real numbers. So Awesome. Are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? Let's see that I won't watch. I mean, there's a lot that I don't have interest in rewatching, but as far as like won't actually rewatch, I don't know. 
I mean, there's probably nothing I wouldn't watch once just to to have done it, even if I know I wouldn't like it. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel like I feel like I've read of, like about like extreme horror ones that I have no desire to see, but my odds of like running across those on Shutter are very low. So if it's like <laughs> you know readily available, I'd probably watch it just to to complain about it later, if nothing else. Nice. That's how I feel about Terrifier. So <laughs> I'm probably gonna watch it just so I can be part of the discourse, but I'm That's not gonna like it. Too. So. Yeah, like, because I've I've seen people talk about it, like, you know, Terrifier 2, and I guess there's a Terrifier 3 coming. And it does not sound at all like my cup of tea, but I'm not, it's not like I'm not going to watch it off some principled thing, you know, if if the if the time presents itself, I, I'll watch it just so I can know. My wife and I call that being part of the pop culture conversation, even though we <laughs> always, like, join it, like, far too late for it to be of any relevance. <laughs> Have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters? Yeah. Well, one of my earliest memories of going to see movies, like, I remember my dad took me to see Leprechaun when I was, like, I looked it up the other day to see when it was released. I must have been, like, only 13 when he took me to go see Leprechaun. And I remember being, like, so scared of the Leprechaun. And then I rewatched it, like, a year ago. And I was like, what the fuck is this? Like, why was I scared of that? (laughs) But, But my real memory is, I remember as a kid, I went with my brother, who's, like, two years younger than me. But we went to go see Ernest Scared Stupid with my parents. And he got so scared by the troll that we had to leave in the middle of the movie. And I remember being so mad because I was like so into it. I was like so into like the the spooky stuff and like the goopy troll. And he was like terrified. So we had to leave. The whole family had to leave. And I was so mad at him for that. <laughs> what was your favorite horror movie of 2023? I really like Talk to Me. That's one of the few I, because I didn't go to the theater much last year, but that's one of the ones I did go see. I really like Talk to Me. Like I liked, I like the weird metaphor of like the, the drugs or like the ghost sort of things like drugs or like other sort of stuff like kids get into. It reminded me a lot of like being <laughs> a young <laughs> ne'er-do-well. And uh, I thought the ending too was like appropriately bleak for somebody like me who likes like very uh, traumatic things. So I like that a lot. <laughs> and that's one too, where like the directors are like guys who did like TikTok videos or something like that's YouTube. where they came from. They're YouTubers. YouTube videos, yeah. yeah. And so you wouldn't, I mean, I mean, I love like, all sorts of like different like creative avenues now like providing people with like their ability to like get experience and like make something really cool and you know oftentimes it is people who like come sort of from like outside what you're expecting that have the the really awesome ideas and new stuff i know they're making a sequel too and i don't know how i feel about that but yeah i'm looking forward to it it's going to be a prequel so we're going to find out more oh, okay. about like how where the hand came from yeah so i i don't know i'm looking forward to it cool so. Yeah. But looking forward, what horror movie are you most looking forward to seeing in 2024? Probably Robert Eggers has a, he's doing a, I guess, a, I don't know if it's a remake or a reimagining of the movie Nosferatu, mm, which yeah. I'm really looking forward to. So I think that, I also too was looking at like what's coming out in 2024 and I saw that there's going to be a return to Silent Hill movie, yes. which I don't <laughs> think will be any good, but I I really like the first two like for vibes. So I'll probably <laughs> go see that as well. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of atmosphere. Yeah. I've only seen the first movie, but I, I got like a movie, like one of those movie paths where you can go see like however many movies. Cause I have a friend who, who had one. And so I'm just like, well, <laughs> if it looks, if it looks at all interesting, like <laughs> I'll, I'll go see that. So <laughs> Awesome. There's probably a bunch of stuff. Are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like? Probably not. I mean, I feel like my taste is probably fairly mainstream. I mean, I, so I, th- I think of horror as like a very broad thing, too. There's a lot of things that I think I would call horror, but other people wouldn't necessarily. 
so I, th I think that's when when people start talking about horror movies or like horror like shows and things and I start bringing up other stuff and they go well I don't know about that like I think the HBO series Chernobyl was like probably the most frightening thing I've seen in years like that that's terrifying it's like the closest thing to like cosmic horror or like yeah you know stuff like that or the killing of a sacred deer by Yorgos Lanthimos that terrified me I mean I might have been a little stoned when I saw it but like this like the idea of like this like inescapable like crushing fate like just terrified me when I saw it and so I know it's not technically horror but there are like horror flavors to a lot of things which I think is really cool yeah I think people consider killing of sacred deer definitely to be horror so well, yeah I guess it, it's, it's also to like a very black comedy too I've made the mistake sometimes when I go see movies that are playing at our like local like a uh, smaller theater or I'll go in the audience because it's sort of like an art house theater won't quite know what to make of certain movies. <laughs> so like I saw like the movie The Favorite there and people there's like a ridiculous scene in the middle of that where there's like this over the top dance number that's like just yeah. absurd. <laughs> and I was like cracking up and there were people in the audience like giving me dirty looks They're like what are you doing this is a serious movie and I was like well, is it though? <laughs> I think sometimes your your expectations can get the better of you. So definitely, if you could remake one horror movie, which one would it be? Remake or reboot? I really like the Pumpkinhead series of movies. Part of it's because they take place like in in the South, like in a rural area, which reminds me a lot of where my like family was when I grew up. I grew up in the suburbs. They lived out in that area, and I have a particular fondness for that because the truck that the main character drives looks exactly like my friend Ian's dad's truck did. <laughs> so when we were kids, we were like, oh, is that your truck? And so we, <laughs> we love that. But I really like that, that movie. Like I really like the sort of Southern atmosphere. I really like the themes they have of like revenge and like how it becomes a corrupting influence. They haven't done anything with that in forever. So I have to recommend the movie dark harvest. Have you seen it? Is that the recent one? Yeah, it came out last year. I read the book, but I haven't seen the movie yet. I think the movie will give you like similar kind of vibes. Oh, nice. Yeah, so. I mean, the, the, the book has similar vibes. Yeah. <laughs> That's I really like the book a lot. So I'm, I'm very curious to see the movie. I meant to, and time makes fools of us all. So, <laughs> so since this is coming out in February, what would you say is your favorite romantic horror movie? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's a real tough question. Antic horror movie. I don't know. Name name some and I'll, and I'll pick one. No. Ones that I can think of are Fresh, Bones and All, Spontaneous. Those are like mine. Oh man. You can't think. I, I know, I'm going to sound terrible that I'm I'm very. No, no, no let, let, let the people see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so my last question is if you could go back in time and see one horror movie on the big screen with an audience, which one would it be? I'd really like to go see something like The Thing. Like, I've watched it so many times, like, you know, at home. But to be there, like, with a bunch of people when something like, like, when the, the guy's head rips off and the little legs pop out to, like, be there with other people. Or when they test the blood and it jumps out of the thing. Like, I think that would be awesome. Like, I've, you know, I've been with my wife and had her go, ah! But, <laughs> but I think that would probably be, like, something like that. Like, a nice, like, creature feature. Like one of the ones that's like like a movie like that that's like a the one that gives you like those visceral thrills and excitement rather than like the crushing sadness ones like those I can watch at home. <laughs> like I watched the movie Skinamarink at home. Like I watched it like on a laptop like at three a.m. You know, in my room, dark with the headphones on, and like that was the perfect experience to watch that movie. I I wouldn't want to watch that in a crowded theater. 
I, I went to one time I went to a movie I went to go see No Country for Old Men when it was in theaters and not a horror movie but that one ends with Tommy Lee Jones giving like a sort of very solemn like a metaphorical thing of talking about a dream he had and his father like carrying the fire on up the hill and then it fades to black and in the movie theater everyone was silent and then one guy in the back goes what <laughs> so i don't know if i'd want to have that after like something like lake mungo with somebody going what <laughs> oh. yeah i sat next to barbara walters at a play once and she was with her friend and she kept leaning over to her friend to say what'd she say <laughs> so oh yeah well, thank you so much for being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and your writing and your books and novellas online? Sure. You can look me up as Gordon B. White on Amazon, on Goodreads, social media, or www.gordonbwhite.com, and you'll find me there. And I always love talking about like writing or like answering questions too. Like people sometimes will message me out of the blue or like send me emails through my website asking like random shit and I'm all for it. So please, <laughs> please do. Like I, I love horror. I love the craft of like creating like narratives. So I'm always pleased to talk to anybody about any of that. Oh, awesome. Well, you heard it here. If you need a mentor <laughs> is volunteering for free. Exactly. Thank you so much again. It was great chatting with you. And oh, I will thank see you. you around. All right. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There? I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Gordon B. White. And thanks again to Gordon for coming on. I'll leave links to his website and his socials in the show notes so you can check out all of his writing. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Who's There PC. Don't forget to check out our Patreon and join our email list. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at Who's There PC at gmail.com. Until next time, stay scary and never ask who's there. <laughs>